Hey everyone, and this is part three, the last part of my interview with Todd Miller from last week. Here we discuss interest rate risk. We discuss Silicon Valley Bank and the failure of management at Silicon Valley Bank. We discuss the failures of the regulators. So a lot here to unpack, and here is Todd Miller. Some takeaways with respect to just liquidity risk in those models. Everything, I have a graph here or a slide, and on this slide, I have a pyramid. And every layer of the pyramid says cash flows, cash flows, cash flows, cash flows. Right now, NCUA has got a reactive nervousness. Liquidity risk troubles them because people have went long. They're running with lower levels of cash than they've ever run. Today, the liquidity risk is largely interest rate risk and inflation-driven. In the future, Credit risk can drive liquidity risk, and so credit unions really need to pay attention for early warning indicators of credit-driven liquidity risk because it's going to change how they have to manage the balance sheet. Early warning indicators are, well, first, let me say this. I'm going to come back to early warning indicators. When it comes to liquidity risk, you really need to be looking at your cash flow statements and managing where you're going and where you think you're going. All your limits should be measured in the future. I think a lot of credit unions make mistakes and boards make mistakes and they set liquidity limits, say I want 6% of my balance sheet in cash and short-term investments. I could care less where that was when you ran your model 40 days in the past. Where's your liquidity risk today? And where is it going next week, next month, three months from now? I think liquidity policies that focused on past measures are missing the whole boat. When it comes to liquidity risk, it all needs to be built off your cash flow forecasts. All your indicators need to be built off of that. You need to be worried about where you're going. Who cares how much liquidity you had 14 days ago? How much liquidity do you have 14 days from now at the end of the month or the end of June when you're closing all the real estate loans that are closing on that one day of the month or what have you? It's very specific. I think anyone that doesn't have a liquidity rating system, I think most cardians should actually have some metrics for liquidity that say, okay, our risk is low, medium, high, dangerous, three or four levels. I don't care how they identify them, one, two, three. They should have various levels that tell them what kind of environment they're in today and whether liquidity risk is heightened or not. And it takes different levels of monitoring and attention when liquidity risk starts getting elevated. And for right now, it's not low for anyone. There's too much uncertainty in the environment out there. Okay, there might be somebody with a 50% loan to share ratio that it's low, but they're gonna be the exception. For most people, they got moderate or elevated risk of liquidity, whether they realize it or not. I think with liquidity risk, it's good to go do once a year an annual assessment, sit down with your board. Here's what our liquidity strategies have been the last couple of years. Here's the results. Here's what we think our strategy is going to be in the future. And make your board aware of that whole risk assessment around liquidity. Liquidity is the hardest thing for a board member to get around. And when you look at earnings, everyone measures it the same. Their budgets are kind of the same. The interest rate risk models, there's a certain uniformity to them across the marketplace. When it gets to managing liquidity, there's no uniformity out there in the industry. Everyone does it a little different. Every vendor's models are a little different, which makes it somewhat challenging. 
which means everyone needs to pay a great deal of attention to that. Early warning indicators in light of Silicon Valley Bank, a lot of people's indicators used to be based on monthly or weekly measures. Sometimes you'd see a deposit or a measure, hey, did we lose X percent of deposits in a day or something of that nature, X percent or over two or three days. Credit really need to rethink their liquidity early warning indicators in light of Silicon Valley Bank and social media. Now you have risks that build up in hours. And I sometimes wonder how many credit systems can even track risk in hours. How many people can look at how many withdrawal requests were made from their home banking system and did that increase by 40% in the last two hours? Those are the kind of warning indicators that are needed now. And I don't know how many crediting systems can even do that. Maybe they all can, and I'm just unaware. That's... But I have a feeling that a lot of them maybe are not up to the modern challenges, and that needs to be thought out going forward. The other way to mitigate that is maybe a lot of credits just need to raise their level of on-balance sheet liquidity. Now, there's no way you're going to create on-balance sheet liquidity to handle the Silicon Valley bank event, but maybe you can do enough to handle a 5 or 10% deposit run. From 2009 to all the way through COVID, there was a huge cost in having that much liquidity on your balance sheet because it earned nothing. That cost is a lot lower today with an elevated Fed funds rate. And so maybe that's a path some people need to think about going down. That's, yeah, that's, that's fascinating. Well, I could tell you what, as you were dropping great advice after great advice on the interest rate risk takeaways and the liquidity risk takeaways and what it might mean for credit unions, I was picturing myself, I listen to a lot of different podcasts, whether it's about self-improvement or consulting or sports or the economy. There's, there's one called Odd Lots, for example, that I'll listen to. And I'll be listening to it and I'll be walking and I'll go, wait, I need to rewind that. I'm going to I click the button 30 seconds back, 30 seconds back, 30 seconds back. And it's like, what did they say? And then I'll listen to it. And then, and then I'll take a, I'll have my phone and I'll go, what? I need to remember this. I'll take a picture of it. And it's at the 27 minute, 34 second mark. Boom. So I know when I get back that I can, I can uh, listen to it. But I think Todd, the last 10, 10 or 15 minutes of, of you kind of summarizing these takeaways, it's going to kind of be like that when you had that record album, back when you had record albums and, and the hit song was the fourth track. And you played that track over and over again. And you didn't play the whole album, right? That's, I guess this is the podcast equivalent to that. I hated when my roommates did that in college. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It would warp the, if the album wasn't warped when you got it, it would warp it right there. So fa- fascinating things there. I, I, I'm going to leave it at what you said, because I can't add a whole lot of value because this is, your this is your expertise. We talked to a lot of credit unions about it. We've we've uh, we've talked about it a lot on podcasts, but but a little bit different take on it this time because of what's going on with SBB. So you talked about do their do does their data systems allow to say okay what happened over the last hour? And the reason that's important is because of social media and a lot of discussion at at uh, that in in by the failed banks by the regulators of the failed banks that that played a big role in it. And perhaps there'll be some regulations. I don't know exactly how they'd regulate that. Maybe they would do it in guidance, just like you described, that when you stress your liquidity, you need to do it in ways that, 
that take into consideration warp speed impact and bigger impacts of what you might do in those situations. Any, any thoughts as it relates to the social media side of this? No, I just think people need to rethink things with social media and your whole contingency plan and how do you respond to that? Because before you would have liquidity crisis tended to be slow motion crashes over a week or two weeks or a month. And so you had time to think about and draft your press releases and how you're going to communicate with members to try and slow that down or mitigate it, so to speak, or what's your official story. Some of Silicon Valley banks' problems were because of communications they probably shouldn't have made, where before you could hire a press firm and you could figure these out in 24 or 48 hours Today, you almost need to kind of have these already drafted in the filing cabinet as to how would you respond to these. And maybe you do at the last minute change some words or paragraph, but you really need a communication plan for this type of stuff nowadays of how your own social media is going to respond, what you're going to put on your website, what would you have the radio, television, however, depending on the marketplace you're in. That stuff probably needs to all be pre-thought out today rather than thought out as it's happening because the speed is happening now. You don't have time to respond to, at the speed things happened at Silicon Valley Bank if you didn't have your responses prepared ahead of time. So challenge yeah. marketing is not my thing and communications are not my thing, but I do know that these institutions need to give some thought to their communication plans as part of their contingency liquidity plan. All, gr all great points. So we've got a we've got a few more slides. This is a this is already a a, a long podcast. I, I, Todd, I think I'm going to hit some highlights of these, and then maybe we can wrap wrap it up. That makes sense to you. Sure, you got the blame game. All these next slides are your slides, Mark, from a different presentation. I stole them all from you. You get, you did, yeah. This was, this was, um, and I'm glad you put them in here. I like this one that that I've got up, which is a bunch of finger pointing. But uh, last week, Senator Warren indicated that the primary cause of the bank failure appears to be complacency, incompetency, and mismanagement by you and other bank executives. The senator said in a letter that was released a couple Thursdays ago. And so you got Congress, you got the Congress on the on the left blaming management. You've got uh, CEOs blaming social media. Uh, you've got you've got the left blaming Trump for deregulation. You've got the R's blaming the regulators. You've got others blaming the auditors. Ironically, and I can't remember which which CPA firm it was that was in there, but Signature Bank and SBB both had the same CPA opinion. And of course, that was as of the end of the year data, and they issued it three, four, five days before both those banks failed. And then under filing it under the don't let any good crisis go to waste, the FDIC blamed, blamed the bank, and then it blamed the fact that they didn't have the adequate staff because they don't have enough people to do their job. They also talked about how because they don't have the people, it's because they can't pay them enough. And as you and I know, bank regulators are required based on the savings and loan crisis to pay to pay adequately or to make sure that people are paid comparable to the other banking regulators because FISLIC back in the day underpaid their examiners and that led to this rule being put in play. And so they took the opportunity to point out, hey, we might need a pay raise. We did such a good job over at, at Silicon Valley Valley Bank. But again, a lot, lot of things that go on when when 
when things fail and there's a lot of blame to go around. And like you said, hindsight's 2020. So any, any thoughts you'd want to add on anything I said about the blame game? Actually, I have a whole bunch of bullet points written down here on that one because I think it's a very interesting slide. Okay, go for and it. Whole, go for the it. whole situation is more complex than a lot of people think. So number one, and the truth in all the postmortems, whether it's Silicon Valley Bank, anyone that NCUA did or anything like that, when an institution fails, it is management's fault every time. I mean, there's great point. I'm glad you brought management. Always going to be management's fault. Now, NCUA does postmortems. The bankers do postmortems. I used to get as a DSA. The part of my job I didn't like is when we had to close institutions, tell people they lost their job because their management messed up. A lot of times it's because NCUA messed up too. And I think regulator postmortems always downplay their own deficiencies. And there's always a role there where the regulator has probably messed up and has a little bit of blame. Now, I think a lot of times the regulator probably can't prevent a failure, but they probably could have done something and mitigated their losses quite a bit if they would have been on their toes and paying attention. And I think that's a true statement. I mean, NCUA, we've changed a lot of policies over the years due to postmortems. We've changed regulations due to postmortems. I don't think that's really appropriate. You can't regulate stupidity. And if you try and put too many regulations in place, you end up taking away risk management tools from well-run institutions. And the only people that are harmed by that is consumers. And it still doesn't stop stupid people from doing things that cause Exactly right. Exactly. So I don't think more regulation is the answer. But we talked about the whole conditions are unprecedented. We haven't seen these since the 1980s. Really, for the regulators and for the credit unions and the banks, it comes down to management and and people. And right now, for the regulators, you look at went on at SVP. They have changes in regulators. Examiners are reluctant to even when they identify problems. They're reluctant to raise things to administrative action levels. And this was mentioned in one of the SVP postmortems. I can tell you at NCUA, we never like to do CNDs. For whatever reason, government attorneys are afraid of losing in court. So they forego actions. They don't really want to try something that doesn't work. And most of the time when the regulator foregoes actions, at the end, it tends to work out anyway. It's a slower process to fix the institution, but a lot of times it gets fixed. And you don't hear about, the public doesn't hear about the regulator successes in those troubled institutions that get fixed. And there's a lot of them that get fixed. At the same time, really identifying a problem in an institution and knowing when there is a problem That takes experience. And right now, a lot of the regulators are going through waves of retirement. That experience is walking out the door. And and this is the same for credit union management. How do you create succession and training plans where you pass on that experience from 20, 30 years ago to the people following you? That's a challenge. And I, I just, I don't know, my 30 years at NCUA, it seems as you go through each recession, Every generation just seems to have to learn this stuff the hard way. No one's figured out how to transfer that experience because we keep replaying these same human mistakes over and over. 
So the regulators do have a role. I think it was pretty obvious there were things going on at SVP that needed to be addressed with the values of their investment. We don't know what they were doing in the background. We do know they were trying to address and we do know management was ignoring them. I mean, that happens in a lot of failures. Certainly the regulators can do better, but they're not all at fault. And I think a lot of this just does come down to people and inexperience and leadership play a huge role in that. Supervisors' willingness to take action plays a huge role in that. I mean, I've seen it many times at NCUA where examiners want to do something and supervise. No, let's just kind of back off. We don't need to be that harsh. And I don't, there's not a right or wrong answer to these. They're all difficult questions that people have to sort through. So <clears throat> that's kind of my two cents on the plane game. Everyone's kind of got their share of responsibility along the way. Like I said, some institutions are bound to fail, and I don't care what the regulator is going to do. It's going to happen. And if they try and regulate away stupidity, all you're going to do is create problems for consumers. Because when you take tools away from well-managed institutions, the consumers are going to pay one way or totally. another. Yeah, totally agree. You can't regulate your stupidity. Regulation more often than not does not make things generally safer. And like you said, the, that that third or fourth standard deviation that's going to do extremely risky things, they're going to do them whether or not that regulation exists or not. So you don't, necess- you don't necessarily make things better just by creating regulations. Cease and desist. It's funny, I'll have, I'll get calls, I know, from, from people in the industry saying, hey, I've got, I've got a credit union that got a cease and desist order and they're thinking X, Y, and Z. And I said, did they really get a cease and desist order or were they told to cease something? And I say that because, because I know, as you do, that using the cease and desist is something that doesn't happen a lot. It's, it's short of that. It's the letter of understanding and agreement. It's the document of resolution. It's using finesse. Well, sometimes finesse doesn't work. And I think probably in this Silicon Valley Bank situation, there was finesse being done. The bank pushed back. The bank had political power. Then there'd be turnover at the who was in charge of the exam, and and you'd finesse a little bit more. If you actually go out and look at the uh, Silicon Valley Bank report of the Federal Reserve, they talked about, I'll use it in credit union terms, let's say they had 31 document resolutions. Well, in one year, they had 10, and, and five of those got solved, and then they added a new 10, and then five of those got solved, and they added a new 10. But you can see it's not in a postmortem, but there's some interesting charts, excuse me, interesting charts that show that that things were getting worse. Some things were getting resolved, but you could certainly tell there was a lot of job boning going on behind the scenes between management and the regulator. And again, yeah, a lot of blame to go around, but it always does come back. It always does. It, it always comes back to management because they're the ones ultimately that make the decisions. And if you fail, you do fail. And that's where the, that's where the, that's where the buck stops, if you will. Well, maybe a a fun podcast idea would be to get three or four parties to go talk about the postmortems that went on one in these banks and get some different views. Yeah, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. Cause you and you and I are both directors of special actions, both problem case officers, both saw saw it from the NCUA perspective. So we definitely, we are the journey that we've taken. My, our journey's changed a little bit most recently as we're, we're seeing what it's like on the other side and able to take the things we learned as a regulator Dennis, and, and provide hopefully value to the listeners here and or our clients, which has been proving to be a lot of fun. Well, 
Todd, I'm starting to lose my voice. So any before we before we wrap, any other thoughts you want to have before we wrap we wrap up for today? No, we I think we've covered it and we spent enough time talking about it. This was kind of a fun one to do. It was a takeoff from a training class we did. That was fun too because there was a lot of interaction from the audience. But this was a fun one. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. I'm glad. I'm glad we were able to do it. And listeners, I want to thank you for listening. I, but Todd, thanks so much for your time. And it's my pleasure, Mark. And, and listeners, I want to thank you for listening to this episode and hope you'll listen again soon. This is Mark Treichel signing off with Flying Colors. <laughs>